Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. I want to just say what an honor it is to have my mother in service with us this morning. It's a little difficult for her, as you know. This is our first Father's Day without Dad. Mom, would you stand? I know it's an emotional day, but this church loves you and this church loved Dad. Amen. Then also my sisters are here today, Danette and Melita, would you, would you two stand? My beautiful sisters here today. And I would have my brother stand, but y'all see him every Sunday. God's given us a wonderful family. And the reason why we have a wonderful family is because we had an amazing father. We had an amazing dad. The Lord gave me 58 years, almost 58 years, about a week away from being 58 years, that the Lord gave me with my dad. There's some people in this room right now that wished that you could have had 58 years with your dad. And the Lord blessed me. He was my best friend. I shared this last week. He was my best friend. We talked about everything. We, we got together at least once a week. Um, now, I don't mind telling you pretty much everything I know about being a dad or a husband or a pastor. I learned it from my dad. And uh, so anytime I was struggling with anything as a pastor, I would call my dad and uh, he would give me such wisdom and, uh, and, and such knowledge. And I tell you, I honor him. I appreciate him. And I want to live a life that brings glory to God and honor to my earthly father. He was a good man. And let me just say this. He was almost 79 years old. We had his funeral on his birthday. He would have been 79 on that day. Um, but God spared his life in spite of me on many occasions. I can remember one time, I don't even know mom would have to tell me, I think I was probably four or five years old, and uh, the place where we were living, we, there was a, you had to park your car on the street, and it was just a straight incline down the hill. And so dad was out working on the car one day he had the hood up and and he was piddling around and I got in the car and started playing around you know pretending like I'm driving and all of a sudden pulled the car out of gear now my dad at this time was under the hood but tried when the car started moving he he come around and tried to open the door and put the car back into gear to somehow stop it because he couldn't get his body in the car. All he could get was an arm. But about the time that he reached his arm around the door shut and nearly, and I don't know, it may have broken his arm, but that was, that was not the worst of it because in our path was about 15 mailboxes all lined up in a row. And it drug my dad right across the top of every single one of those. We finally come to a stop down at the bottom of the hill. And, and my dad was fortunate to be alive. I mean, we had to rush him to the hospital. He was in really bad physical condition. Uh, so 
thank God he survived some of my exploits. And that's the only one I'm going to tell you about today. I'm not, I'm not going to get into the many others. But I'm thankful this morning for my father. And I think the thing that I could say about him that would honor him more than anything. Yes, he was a wonderful husband. Yes, he was an amazing father. He was a caring, compassionate pastor. But let me tell you something. He was a mighty man of God. He was a mighty man of God. And I think God wants every one of us here in this room today, men, and I'm talking to you specifically today because we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture. And if you want to go ahead and take your Bibles and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And this is a passage of Scripture for all of us, men and women, male and female. But today I'm going to look at this passage of Scripture just from a man's perspective. And I really believe that's what Paul had in mind when he wrote this passage in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. He's challenging us as men to be mighty men of God. But more than that, he's challenging us to be soldiers in the army of God. And many times in Scripture, men of God are referred to as soldiers, that we are to be good soldiers, that we are to be faithful soldiers. And so really what Paul is doing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, is he is giving us our marching orders, men. Listen, this message today is not a rebuke to men. I know how it is on Mother's Day. We preach these wonderful, beautiful messages about mom. And then a lot of times on Father's Day, we come and feel like we just got beat up. I'm not here to beat you up today, but I am here to wake you up. I'm not here this morning to rebuke any man in the house. But I am here today to share with you five imperatives, five commands that God gives to every man who calls themselves a man of God or a soldier in the army of God. So today we're going to talk about marching orders for the man of God, for the soldier in the army of God. And listen to what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. He says five things, five imperatives, five commands that he gives to every one of us men in this room here today. Number one, he says, be watchful. And then secondly, he says, stand firm in the faith. Number three, he says, act like men. And then he says, be strong. And then it's almost like he goes soft on us, isn't it? He says, let all that you do be done in love. So let's begin with that first command that he gives to us as men of God. That first command that he gives us as soldiers in the army of God. He says, be watchful. And the picture that he has in mind is the picture of a watchman on a wall. Let me, let me show you a picture of what that would look like. You see this watchman standing watch on the wall, guarding the city in which he is a resident and a leader of that city. 
And it was the responsibility of the watchman on the wall to keep a watch for any impending danger. And then once he saw danger approaching, it was his responsibility to sound the trumpet of alarm and let the residents in that city know that danger is approaching and you need to muster your defenses for battle. Ezekiel chapter 33 tells us that if the watchman saw impending danger coming and he warned the residents of that city and the residents of that city refused to take heed, which we know happens quite often, that people hear a warning from the watchman on the wall, but they don't heed and they don't respond and they don't obey that warning. And if that were the case, if the watchman on the wall saw danger coming and let the people know, but the people did not prepare and defend themselves, then whatever happened to them, they deserved. But if the watchman on the wall saw danger coming, or if the watchman on the wall fell asleep, and that's really what Paul is saying when he says be watchful, he's saying be awake, be alert. And don't just be awake, be really awake. How many of you know when you first get up in the morning, you're not always really awake? Sometimes you gotta have the coffee. Sometimes you gotta have the shower in order to get really awake. And that's what he's saying here. Don't just be awake, be really awake. Don't just be alert, be really alert. And so if this watchman on the wall had fallen asleep while he was on duty, or if he saw danger approaching and didn't warn the residents of the city, then his life would be required of him because he was not fulfilling his responsibility. Men, listen to me this morning, especially fathers and dads. You are the watchman on the wall of your homes. And you are the watchman on the wall guarding over your family. And it's your responsibility to be able to see to get on the high ground and be able to see when danger is approaching. Now listen, your family may not like this. I know that culture doesn't like this. But gentlemen, it's your responsibility to know what's coming and going in your house. What has access to your family. You need to know what's being watched on television by your children. You need to see who they're texting on their phone. You need to know what's coming into your home through the internet. You need to know what kind of connections they have on social media. You say, well, that sounds like I'm telling my children that I don't trust them. No, it doesn't have anything to do with trust. It has everything to do with accountability. And God has called every single one of us to be accountable to one another. But as the watchman of the wall over your home and as the watchman of the wall over your house, you are responsible for keeping watch and making sure that the enemy does not have access to come to steal and to kill and to destroy what God has blessed you with. That's why the apostle Paul said here, or, or, or in Isaiah chapter 56, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah. And here's what he says. He says, for the leaders of my people, the Lord's watchmen, his shepherds. And listen to me, dads, this morning, that's us. 
us as fathers. We are watchmen. We are his shepherds over the flock that he's given us, our families. And he said, for the leaders of my people, the Lord's watchmen, his shepherds, he said, they're blind and they're ignorant. And the reason they were blind and they're ignorant is because they didn't have a knowledge of God's word. They didn't know when danger or sin was approaching because they didn't know the word of God to know what was sin and what wasn't sin. And then he goes on and he says this. He said, they are like silent watchdogs that give no warning when danger comes. Anybody got a dog like that? You bought that dog to be a watchdog and somebody could be trying to break into your house and that dog's still just laying there. Matter of fact, if anything, maybe sometimes they just, they, they just kind of posture themselves ready that when that person comes through the door, they're going to lick them to death. But God, God, God compared the watchmen, the shepherds who were asleep to, to watchdogs that were not given any kind of warning when danger would come. He said, here's what they do. He said, they love to lie around sleeping and dreaming. Listen to me. There's too many men, there's too many fathers, there's too many dads. And I say this as a warning and as, as a command from Scripture today. But there's too many fathers and too many dads that are just lying around, sleeping and dreaming while the enemy is coming to and fro. And destroying your family, destroying your children, destroying your marriage. That's why Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 6. He said, let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be a Awake and sober. Let us be awake and alert. And he's not talking there about being awake physically. Yes, it's important to be awake physically. He's talking about being awake spiritually. Why? Because the Bible gives us command after command, warning after warning, why we need to be awake and alert and sober as husbands, as dads, as fathers. Notice in 1 Peter 5 and 8, he said, be alert and be of sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The enemy is looking for an open door. The enemy is looking for a cracked window. And as I said, his purpose and his mission has not changed. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. So we've got to be alert, men. We've got to be awake, men. We've got to be sober in mind because we've got to see when the enemy is approaching and prepare for that attack. Notice in Mark 14 and 38, Jesus told his disciples, he said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. You need to be awake. You need to be praying because the enemy is lurking around the corner and he is good through the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. He is good at catching you at a weak moment and notice what Jesus said. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Why do you need to pray? Because the flesh is weak. Why do you need to be in the word of God? Because the flesh is weak. Why do you need to be in a small group? Because the flesh is weak. Why do you need to be in an equipped class? Because the flesh is weak. Why do you need the fellowship of brothers and sisters because the flesh is weak. Don't think, don't be so self-confident to think I don't need to pray. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to get into the word of God. I've got this, whatever the enemy brings about. And the disciples thought that too, but they were about to encounter temptation like they had never encountered it before. And because they had slept and slumbered when they should have been praying, they fell prey to the temptation. Notice what the Bible tells us in Revelation 3, 1 and 2. 
Jesus is speaking to the church at Sardis and he said, I know your deeds. He said, you've got a reputation that you're alive, but you're dead. You've got a reputation that you're awake, but you're sleeping. Because notice what he says, wake up. And and let me just say something here for just a moment. Not just to the men, but to all of us men and women both of God here this morning. It's time for the church to wake up. Oh my goodness. That's the reason why the Apostle Paul is having to even deal with this. Because the church at Corinth was just letting anything and everything come into the church. Any kind of a teaching, any kind of a practice come into the church. And Paul is saying, you've got to shut the door on the enemy. You've got to be men and women of God. You've got to wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Some of you, your children are about to die spiritually. Some of you, your marriage is about to die some of you men spiritually you are about to die your family is about to die and the bible says it's time stop sleeping stop slumbering stop being indifferent and apathetic but wake up and strengthen those things that remain that are about to die strengthen your marriage strengthen your relationship with your children strengthen your spiritual life And then he goes on and he says this in Matthew 24 and 42. He said, therefore, keep watch. Stay awake. Be alert. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon. And no man knows when he's going to return. But what we can watch for as watchmen on the wall is we can watch for the signs that point to the return of Jesus Christ. And we can go to our families and say, hey, this is happening, and this is happening, or this has happened, and that has happened. Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you saved? Are you ready that if the Lord were to come back today? That's one thing about my dad, man. When we were growing up, my dad preached a lot of sermons on the second coming of the Lord. And there were times that I would sit in that church and I'd be, dear God, I'm not going to get out of this service tonight. Jesus is going to come back before I get out of this service tonight and man I would go to the altar and I'd repent I'd say God I don't know if I've sinned but if I have forgive me of any sin because I just had that anticipation that Jesus is going to come soon we don't need to lose that anticipation we don't need to lose that expectation we are closer to the return of Jesus Christ than we've ever been before are you ready are you ready wake up church Jesus is coming soon Amen. So he says, be alert. Stop sleeping on the job. Fulfill your responsibility as the watchman on the wall. But not only would he say be watchful, he would also say stand firm in the faith. Now here's what he's saying. He's saying stand firm in the word of God. Well, you've got to know the word of God before you can stand firm in the word of God. That's why I'm so adamant to teach God's word. Because if there's anything that's gonna get you through a storm, if there's anything that's gonna get you through a crisis in your life, it's when you're rooted and you're grounded in God's word. If anything's gonna help you survive a cultural storm, a world that is saying, hey, conform to our ways, 
The thing that's going to help you weather that storm and stand firm is what you believe and what you are convinced of. Listen to me. Your beliefs as a man of God, your beliefs as a soldier in the army of God should be rooted and grounded not in what culture says, but in what the word of God says. So he says, be firm, be firm in the faith. Know what you believe and believe it. Come hell or high water, believe it. Know what you are convinced of. Have yourself some convictions that when you are being assaulted and attacked by culture, tempting you to give up what you believe in for something that isn't true and rooted and grounded in God's word. Have you some convictions that will help you to remain strong that says, I know what I believe is truth and truth is not relevant. Truth is absolute if it comes from the word of God and it doesn't matter what kind of culture you're in and it doesn't matter what kind of situation you might be facing. Truth is truth and truth will always be truth that is grounded and rooted in God's word. Word. Listen to what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1. He said, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. What was that gospel? He goes on to tell us in verse 3 of first importance that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried, and he rose again. And let me just tell you now, that's the gospel. That's the good news. And he said, when I preached that good news to you, you heard it, you believed it, and as a result, you were saved by it. But now, you're waffling, especially in your belief of the resurrection of the body. So that's why he has to take a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and once again establish the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says to them, he says, if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is still dead, which means your faith is still in vain. So he reminds them, when I preached the gospel to you, you believed it. And he said, that was the gospel. That was the truth that you took your stand on. And so that's why when he gets to the end of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. That's the kind of men of God that we need in this day and time. That's the kind of soldiers in the army of God that we, we need right now. We used to sing it like this. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree that's planted by the waters. I shall not be moved. Because when you know what you believe and you're convinced that it's true nothing can move you from that somebody give God a good praise right there for the truth of his word Ephesians 4 14 God speaks through Paul and Paul tells us that the reason that God gave us prophets evangelists pastors teachers is to equip us to do the work of the ministry so that we can come to unity in the faith and be conformed to the exact image of Jesus Christ, spiritual maturity. And he said the reason why that's important is so that we will no longer be like immature children. 
We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new doctrine. That describes not just men, but a lot of folks in the body of Christ today that don't know the word of God, that has not the knowledge of God's word. And because of that, whatever, whatever's being taught, they just blown back and forth by every wind of doctrine that comes along. But he says this, he said, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. You need to know the word of God and you need to stand firm. I'll tell you what we need. We need some mighty men like David had. You ever read about David's mighty men? He had three in particular that we read about here in 1 Samuel chapter 23. He said, these are the names of David's mighty warriors. Josheb Bashabeth. There's a good name right there for you, kid. <laughs> Josheb. Bashemeth. And notice it says that he was the chief of the three of the mightiest men of David. And he raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Now that's a man. But then notice next to him was a guy by the name of Eleazar, the son of Dodai the Hohite. And as one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at past Damon for battle. Be careful when you taunt somebody, you might have a fight on your hands. And then notice what happened. Then the Israelites retreated. Sadly, that's what a lot of men, a lot of soldiers do when they're faced with adversity or opposition. They run. They retreat. And that's what happened here. But notice, Eliezer stood his ground. Man, we need some men of God, some soldiers in the army of God that will stand their ground. And notice it said that he struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Have you ever had a grip on something for so long and so tight that when you tried to break the grip, it was hard to, it's like your hand had frozen in that position. And he had fought for so long that his hand had frozen to the sword. And then notice what happened because he stood his ground. The Lord brought about a grip great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Oh, that's another sermon right there. But then notice, next to him was a guy by the name of Shema, the son of Aji, the Hararite. And when the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils or peas, Israel's troops fled from them. Again, the army retreats when they face opposition, but not Shema. The Bible said that Shema took his stand in the middle of that pea patch. And he said, you Philistines, y'all come in and stole my peas for the last time. I worked hard planting these peas. I worked hard harvesting these peas. And you've come into my pea patch for your last time. And he took his stand against those Philistines and defeated himself. Fe defeated every single one of those Philistines. And notice it says that the Lord brought about a great victory. I want to tell you today, man of God, I want to tell you today, soldier in the army of God, when you take a stand for God, when you take a stand for the word of God, you won't even have to fight. God will fight for you. God will bring victory on your behalf. Oh, somebody get happy and praise God with me this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah.
But then there's a third thing that he says that we do, and that is we need to act like men. Now remember, remember now, he's not just talking to men. We're, We're applying it that way this morning, but he's talking to all of us, men and women. So women are like, you mean he's telling me act like a man? No, he's saying grow up. Stop being spiritual babies and grow to be mature men of God. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And then he says this in 1 Corinthians 14 and 20. He says, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. Let me tell you something about the church at Corinth. They were a mess. When you go and read the book of the the, the first and second books of, of Corinthians, you got 26 chapters, which makes it the longest letters that's written to any particular church. And Paul spends most of his time rebuking them because they're spiritually immature, saying that I, I I'd like to be able to speak to you as adults, but I can't. I still have to talk to you like your babies. He said, I want to be able to feed you some meat, but I can't even feed you meat. I'm still having to get a bottle with milk in it and, and, and give you a bottle of milk. So he's talking to them about spiritual maturity. He says, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. But then he says this, in regard to evil, be infants. In other words, leave evil alone. You don't want to even experience evil. Be infants when it comes to evil, but in your thinking, be adults. And and then the scripture tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 3, because here's what I believe separates the men from the boys. Suffering, hard times. You say, why does God allow suffering in my life? Because he's trying to make a man out of us. And sometimes the only way to make a man out of somebody is to allow suffering, to allow hardship. God is a heavenly father. He's a loving father, but he ain't soft. Amen. He can be. He's compassionate. Yes. But God knows how to make a man. And God, listen to me, every man in this room here today, God wants to make a man out of us. I mean a spiritual, mature man of God. And sometimes in order for that to happen, notice he said, Paul said this, he said, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul suffered. If you don't believe it, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where he says, five times I received 39 stripes on my back. Till my flesh hung like ribbons. He said, three times I was beaten with rods. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. He said, three times, and and, and then he goes on and says, once I was pelted with stones. Literally, some believe he was stoned to death and God resurrected him from the dead. And then he says, everywhere I went, I was in danger. I was in danger in the country. I was in danger in the city. I was in danger on the sea. I was in danger in the field. I was in danger when it came to my enemies. I was in danger when it came to my own brothers and sisters. He said, my life was a dangerous life. And so when he speaks to Timothy, this young man, this young pastor in the faith that's griping and complaining because he's having to endure a little hardship, Paul said, hey, you're not the only one. And also remember, Jesus suffered on our behalf. 
So he said, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Peter said, since Christ suffered physical pain, we must arm ourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. Are you ready to suffer, men of God? Are we ready to suffer? Soldiers suffer hardship. Are we ready to suffer? Are we ready to let God make a man out of us? When I was in high school, I wanted to play football. Back then, you couldn't play football. It's too worldly. But my dad gave in one year to let me play football. And we're at practice one day, and the coach gets up and says, all right, today... We're going to separate the men from the boys. I didn't know what he meant, but I found out. It's like he put the boys on one side and the men on the other side. No, seriously. He got those of us who were like wide receivers, running backs, whatever. And then he took the biggest guy on our team. His name was David Kofer. We called him Root. And I want to tell you, if you ever run up against him, you think you hit a tree that was firmly rooted. That's why they called him Root. You couldn't budge him. So he puts Root on the other side of the line. Root's about 6'2", 225 in the ninth grade. I'm every bit of 120. It was all muscle, but 120. It's more like skin and bones is what it was. He threw me that football and he said, okay. He said, you just run straight at him. I like him, (laughs) him and root buddy. He's just, he's right there. He's took his position. He's took his stand. And I took, I took off running as fast. Now I was new at football. I didn't knew. I didn't know go low, you know, try to go in low. No, I'm just (laughs) got my head up. And when I come across that line, he bear hugged me. I felt like I had hit a stone wall. Ball went that way, my helmet went the other way. And I'm laying on the ground. Coach says, are you all right? And I'm like, yes, sir. Couldn't breathe. Of course, dad was there watching the practice that day. And he told me when we got in the car, don't tell your mama what happened here today. But I found out the difference between a man and a boy on that field that day. And it was when I faced hardship, when I faced pain. You know what I wanted to do after that? I wanted to quit. I'm like, I don't wanna get hit like that all the time. Daddy wouldn't let me quit. I begged him enough to play, he wouldn't let me quit. Wouldn't let me quit. But that's what we do so many times when we face hardship and suffer, we just wanna quit. We want to just throw in the towel. James 1, 2, and 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Welcome those trials. Welcome the suffering. Welcome the hardship with joy. God's making a man and a woman of God out of us. And then, and then let's just get through this. Number four, he, he would say, be strong. Now, he's not talking about the kind of strong, you know, where I'm the man of the house. I cut the grass and I take out the garbage. You know, I'm the man of the house. No, he's not talking about physical strength here. 
He's talking about spiritual strength. And more than that, he's talking about a spiritual strength that helps you overcome your flesh. Because God knows that none of us can overcome our flesh in and of ourselves. None of us can win this battle in and of ourselves. It is a spiritual battle. And that's why Paul said, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's why he said in 2 Timothy 2.1, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's why he said in Ephesians 3.16, I pray out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. Where? In your inner not your outer, in your inner being, that you will be strong enough in soul, that you will be strong enough in spirit, that you're able to overcome any temptation of your flesh. Be strong. And then he would end by saying, do everything, everything in love. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Love. Do everything in love. Why? Why wake up and be alert? Why stand firm in the faith? Why act like men? Why be strong? Let me tell you why. Because you love your family. And your family needs you to be awake. Your family needs you to stand firm in the faith. Your family needs you to act like a man. And your family needs you to be strong. And if you love them, then you will make every sacrifice to be everything that Paul commands us to do. Several years ago, if you'll go ahead and help me, Tanya. Several years ago, I heard Dr. Tony Evans preaching a message at the Promise Keepers Men's Conference in Atlanta, Georgia. And he had preached a powerful message about all of us being the men that God has called us to be. And he ended by saying this. He said, the reason this is important, he said, is because if you're a messed up man and you have a family then you're going to have a messed up family. And if you're a messed up man with a messed up family and that family lives in a neighborhood, then you're going to have a messed up neighborhood. And if you're a messed up man with a messed up family and that family's in a neighborhood and that neighborhood is in a city, then you're going to have a messed up city. And if you're a messed up man with a messed up family in a messed up neighborhood that's in a messed up city and that city is in a state, then you're gonna have a messed up state. Or if you're a messed up man with a messed up family in a messed up neighborhood that's in a messed up city that's in a messed up state and that state is in a nation, then you're gonna have a messed up nation. And if you're a messed up man with a messed up family in a messed up neighborhood, in a messed up city, in a messed up state, in a messed up nation, and that nation is in the world, then you're gonna have a messed up world. So he said, if you want a better world, made up of better nations, made up of better states, that's made up of better cities, that's made up of better neighborhoods, that's made up of better families, then you are gonna have to be a better man.
I want to be a better man. I want to be a man of God. I want to be a soldier that brings glory and honor and pleases my commander. Would you stand with me this morning? Team, I want you to come back out. And I want you to get ready in a moment to go back into may his favor be upon you. Because that's what we need, dads. That's what we need, fathers. We cannot accomplish what God has called us to do apart from his favor and apart from his power and apart from his grace. There may be a man here in this room today that you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior. Let me tell you this, Jesus has already paid the full price for your salvation. He did that when he went to the cross. All you got to do now is believe that he did it for you. Believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth. And the Bible says that you too will be saved. Do you believe the gospel that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? That Jesus died for your sins? That he was buried and that he rose again? If you believe that in your heart and you confess it with your mouth and you surrender your life to him today then you can leave this place with God as your heavenly Father and begin the most amazing journey of your life with every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody looking around. If there's a man here this morning that would say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, but today on this Father's Day in 2020, I want to open my heart and my life to Him. Would you just lift up your hand right now? Because in a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Is there anybody here this morning that would say that? Anybody? Amen. Well, can we rejoice today that every man in the house has made a decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ? I think that's pretty awesome. But now listen to me, men of God, dads and fathers. We can be better men. We can be more mighty than we are as men of God. We can be greater soldiers in his army. So, Father, I pray over every man in this room today. I pray over every father. I pray over every dad. God, I know what a tough job it is. And I even know, God, how that sometimes it's a job that doesn't get the honor and the respect and the appreciation that it deserves. But God, I thank you that here at Summerton Church of God, you've given us some mighty men of God. You've given us some dads and some fathers who are on the wall watching over their family. Some men of God here this morning, Lord, you've given us who are standing firm in the faith. Some today who are acting like men they've put childish things away they're strong and they do everything with love I thank you for those men today God but sometimes God with our appointment as fathers and dads we realize we can't do it without your anointing so father I pray for a fresh anointing to come on every man in this room right now 
to be the husband you've called them to be, to be the dads that you've called them to be, to be the leaders in the church that you've called them to be, to be the leaders in the community that you've called them to be, Lord. Give them the grace, give them the power that only comes from you so that we can do the job in such a way that our families serve you and that you are glorified through it all. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said amen. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.